The Father God, we praise you for the riches of your word. Pray that we would see more of your glory this morning. I pray that we would be captivated afresh in the Lord Jesus, and that knowing you personally as our shepherd would stir our hearts to praise and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So what comes to mind when we think of the blessed life? What makes a happy life? I suppose lots of us would say the following, maybe having a career which we thrive in, which gives us enough money and the security that money brings. Or perhaps when we think of the blessed life, we think of the things that money and wealth can give us, the beautiful house, the comfortable living, the exotic holidays. Or you may think of blessing as the freedom to enjoy the things in this world we enjoy most. Whether it's expensive meals out, or going to see shows at the West End, or whatever it may be. Or it may be finding the partner of our dreams and having that exciting, intimate relationship. But I think the question of that blessed life comes into focus when we think, what do we want the next generation to have? If we have children, or we would like children one day, what would we want our children to have most in this world? I spoke to a couple of mums about this uh, in the week uh, at school, and they said that they wanted their children to be content with what they have, to have a strong foundation morally, and to be positive members of society. Interestingly, they said they didn't want lots and lots of wealth for their children, but they wanted them to be happy and healthy in lots of healthy relationships. In our passage today in Genesis 48, we see the very, very old Grandpa Jacob uh, gathering Joseph's sons, his grandsons, and his own sons to bless them, to pass on his inheritance. And so old Grandpa Jacob had a very, very long life. He was 147 years old at this point. Can you imagine, 147 years old? His eyes were failing, and his strength was spent, and he knows he's about to die. And so Joseph brings his boys to be blessed by Grandpa Jacob. And the big idea in Genesis 48 is that the biggest blessing that Jacob can offer is the blessing of knowing God personally in living friendship. The greatest blessing that God can give is the blessing of himself. So let's have a look at our passage in Genesis 48. So old man Jacob, he had 12 sons who were born to him in Canaan, and Joseph was his favorite son. And we've seen over the series how God has used Joseph in an extraordinary way to save not only Jacob and his family, but the entire world from a famine. Now over this 20-year period, uh, Joseph had two sons born to him in Egypt, Manasseh, his oldest, and Ephraim, the younger son. And so when Joseph heard that Jacob was on his deathbed, he took his sons to see them. And what does Jacob do? In his last few days, he blesses them, and he passes on their, his inheritance. You could say that this was the ancient equivalent of writing a will. But Jacob does something really unexpected. 
He doesn't focus about his material possessions or his property or his security, although he does give them a ridge in the promised land. That's not his focus. His focus is all about who God is and the extraordinary promises that God has made. And so the first thing Jacob does is he casts his mind decades back, like 70 years or so, or even longer, to when he was a similar age to these boys before him, around 20, uh, back in Genesis 28, where he had a life-changing encounter with God. So Jacob, as a young man, he was a scumbag. He was the sinner of sinners, so to speak. He deceived his father, Isaac, and he swindled his older brother's inheritance. And while on the run from the enraged Esau, God met him in a dream in the city of Luz. And he made an astonishing promise to Jacob. Let's read from verse 3 as Jacob recollects this uh, extraordinary encounter with God. So Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I'll make you a community of peoples, and I'll give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. So a promise of a numerous people, a promise of a wonderful land. And in that chapter 28, God also promised that all peoples on the earth would be blessed by him. That same promise God made to his father Isaac and to his grandfather Abraham of a people, a land, and blessing. And so in all the families in the world, Jacob and his family had an extraordinary, unique position. The God who we meet in Genesis 1, who created the heavens and the earth in all its vast array, who fills this earth with abundance of life, this God who made everything, chose to be in covenant friendship with Jacob and his family. And so Jacob and his family had the astounding privilege of knowing this God personally. Jacob knew that this God was working in all things for their good. And God had promised that through this family, all peoples in the world would be blessed by him. That one day, through this messed up family, the curses of the fall would be undone. One day, death would be put to death, sin would be crushed and would be no more, and the curse lifted from the land. And so this is Jacob's family silver, knowing God personally and his extraordinary promises. Not possessions or property, not security or status, but knowing God personally. And this is what Jacob most wants his sons, his children, his grandchildren to have. And Jacob speaks from a lived experience. He's not speaking from a fairy tale fantasy. He speaks from a de deep uh, lived encounter with God over many, many years. Let's have a look at what he says in verse 15. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. May he bless these boys. 
So could we have our first slide, please? The greatest blessing is the blessing of knowing God as our shepherd. The next slide, please. Thank you. The blessing of knowing God as shepherd. And of all the things uh, to call God, a shepherd is a very beautiful picture. Now, the Bible says we are like sheep, not in the cute and cuddly sense, but in the sense that sheep are so stupid. We end up lost, and we get into trouble so easily. I saw a video the, the other day of a sheep stuck in a ditch, and then the shepherd came and rescued the sheep, and then the sheep, what did it do? It ran, and it jumped and landed in the ditch. And that's exactly what we do. In our sin, it's a ditch we keep falling into again and again. But what do shepherds do for the sheep, especially in the Middle Eastern context? Well, they protect and they care for the sheep. They love and provide for the sheep. They fight off wild animals and they lead them to safety and they rescue them again and again. And so old man Jacob, he looks back on his very old life and he recalls just how faithful God has been to him. And he writes, the Lord has been my shepherd through all his life. Uh, King David wrote the same thing a thousand years later. Uh, but Jacob said it here first. The Lord has been my shepherd. And Jacob has had a very hard life. His life has been plagued by family dispute. He was alone and on the run for many years. He, the deceiver, was deceived time and time again. He lost his beloved wife, Rachel. And he thought Joseph, his favorite son, had been dead for 20 years. And now he's just lived through a famine. And yet, what can Jacob say? God has been my shepherd through all the ups and downs of life. God, who'd made everything, was there uh, protecting him, rescuing him all the way. And Jacob calls God his angel, who has delivered him from all harm. Have a look again at verse 16. Now, I'm told that the Hebrew word for angel is something like kinsman redeemer. In the law, a kinsman redeemer is someone who would rescue you out of difficult situations. Think of the beautiful story of Ruth and Boaz, how Boaz rescued Ruth and Naomi out of devastation. And that's what God does here for Jacob. He has rescued Jacob again and again, most recently from this famine uh, through Joseph. And so this is the blessing Jacob wants these boys to have, knowing God as their shepherd and as their redeemer. But you might think, what about us 3,700 years later? These boys were in a very unique position. They were blessed by, by Jacob, the great patriarch. Well, if we're following Jesus here today, whether we've been following him for years and years, or we've just started following him, these promises of God as shepherd and as redeemer are ours in the Lord Jesus. I want to turn briefly to Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul, the apostle, wrote to the Ephesian church. It was a small church in a big pagan city, very much like St. John's here in London. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When Paul was writing this, he had Genesis in his mind, most likely, which is all about God's promise to bless this fallen world. And so Christians, we have every blessing in the Lord Jesus. In verse four in that chapter, he says we've been adopted into God's everlasting family. Just like Manasseh and Ephraim being adopted into Jacob's family. So we can have access to God as our father who cares for us in all our lives. He treats us as his dearly loved sons and daughters. In verse seven in Ephesians, God is our redeemer. We have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And in other places in the New Testament, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd who came to give life to the full to his sheep, who came to lay his life down for his sheep. But why is this such good news? Why is this the greatest blessing in this world? knowing God as shepherd and redeemer. Well, I suppose many of us sometimes feel uncared for. Life at times can just be so hard. It feels at times we have to forge our own security. And that blessing in this life comes down to luck or our own effort. Perhaps over lockdown, we have felt distant from our friends and our family, our church family, Perhaps this has only amplified the sense of being uncared for. But know this, Jesus cares for us far more deeply than we can imagine. Our deepest spiritual needs have been met. Our sins have been utterly forgiven. In Christ, we have a shepherd who walks with us in the deepest, darkest valleys. He empathizes with us in our deepest suffering. And he has loved us to the end with an unimaginably infinite love. At times he may feel far away, perhaps over this last year, but Jesus promises to his people, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so this is the great blessing, knowing God in all of our life as our shepherd and as our redeemer. If we've been a Christian for a while, then I'm sure you know God's faithfulness to you as shepherd. I look back on my own life and God has been so gracious to me. His faithfulness as shepherd has been absolutely unending. I remember a few years back when I had my knee injury and I was lying on the hospital bed, I felt utterly helpless, hopeless. And yet at the same time, I felt so cared for by friends and family, church family, people here who came to visit, I felt so cared for by God shepherding me with his people. And so if we really knew this, God as our shepherd, what would it have, what effect would it have on our lives? Well, we would have security as we, as we long for in this life. God our shepherd, he'll carry us through all of our days. He promises to be with us every step of the way. And he has the big things in this life under control. Our sin has been paid for, and our future is secure. 
This pandemic that we've lived through is all under his hand. And he's using even this uh, for his purposes. And he has the small things in this life under control. When we're late for the bus at work, uh, when we are annoyed with our spouse over breakfast, even in those small things, God is working all things for our good. But the question remains, how does this blessing come about? Well, the blessing of knowing God comes through sovereign grace. The next slide, please. The blessing of knowing God as shepherd is by sovereign grace. Now, there's a puzzle in this passage I haven't mentioned yet. What's going on with Grandpa Jacob crossing his arms to bless these boys? Well, after an ancient adoption ceremony, uh, Jacob adopts Manasseh and Ephraim to be his sons. Ephraim is the younger one, is pushed to Jacob's left-hand side, and Manasseh, the older one, is pushed to his right-hand side to receive the older son's blessing. But Jacob crosses his arms, he reaches out, and left hand on, right hand on Ephraim, and left hand on Manasseh. What's going on here? Is old man Jacob just having a senior moment and getting confused? No, it's a very deliberate act of worship. It's very interesting that in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith in the Bible, this is the one event in Jacob's life that is mentioned, Jacob blessing these boys. And as a side note, this is a great encouragement to the older saints here among us. We're never too old to worship and serve the Lord. I think of our dear brother George uh, serving the Lord wholeheartedly. Um, it's a great encouragement to us. And so this is a recurring theme in Genesis. God again and again blessing the youngest son. So Abel's sacrifice was accepted over Cain. Isaac was the child of promise over Ishmael. Jacob received the promise over Esau. And now here, Ephraim is chosen over Manasseh. And the big idea, it's all by sovereign grace. God's blessing is not something we can earn, not something we're born into, but it's God's mercy. He chooses whom to bless. There's a song we often sing, uh, God is indescribable. You know that song? Which is ironic because that song is full of descriptions of who God is like. One of those descriptions is that he is untamable. We can't put God in a box. We can't have him all figured out. But this untamable God, in his vast mercy, chooses whom to bless. He chooses to bless the most unlikely people, the most undeserving people like us. And so the application here is humility. There's no room for boasting in the Christian life because from start to finish, everything we receive in this life is by God's abundant grace in Christ. So as we see his mercy, as we see his goodness to us, pride must shrivel and die and humility must flower in its place. God's sovereign grace demolishes any sense of our human achievements. He chooses whom to bless. But there's still a big question in the life of Jacob. Think back to that promise God made to him 
that through him all nations would be blessed. So the question is, how will God's blessing go to the nations? Well, Genesis 49 gives us a monster clue. And Kerry is now going to come and give us our second reading. Our second reading is uh, chapter 49 of Genesis, verse 1 to 28, which can be found on page 55 of the Church Bibles. Jacob now blesses his sons. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather round so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father, Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the cho choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will soon extend towards Sidon. Issachar is a scrawny donkey lying down among the sheepfolds when he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land. He will bend his shoulders to the burden and submit to forced labor. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful forms. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed supple because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, in the evening he divides the plunder. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, 
giving each the blessing appropriate to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, thank you, Carrie, so much for reading that. And so we left Genesis 48 with the question, how will God's blessing go to the nations? Can we have that next slide up, please? How will God's blessing go to the nations? And so now in Jacob's dying moments, he gathers his 12 sons and he utters his last words in the Bible. And Jacob, under the Spirit, gives us a preview of Israel's history. He is prophesying the future of God's people. But did we notice that as Genesis 49 was just read, the blessings that Jacob gives are very mixed. And we won't have time to go into detail for each of his sons. But all in all, Jacob's sons were a massive disappointment. So they treated Joseph shamefully. They plotted to kill him, and they ended up selling him into slavery. Reuben, the, the firstborn uh, of uh, Jacob, utterly disgraced himself, and he slept with his father's wife. Simeon and Levi, they were bloodthirsty warmongers. They slaughtered the Shechemites in revenge for their sister. So Jacob says, let me not enter into their council. Uh, Dan, he was described as a bloodthirsty man, even as a serpent, uh, striking at the heels of the people. Benjamin, a ravenous wolf, waiting to devour his prey. So at the moment, these sons, it looks pretty bleak for Israel's future. How is the blessing going to go to the nations? Even Joseph, God's, uh, Jacob's favorite son, doesn't have a promising future. Yes, God used Joseph to save his people as a fruitful vine, but God's ultimate blessing would not come through the line of Joseph. But did you hear the stunning beacon of hope in Judah's line? In verses 8 to 12, we see a magnificent picture of the Lord Jesus. And so the blessing of knowing God as shepherd comes through sovereign grace and is by the Lion of Judah. Next slide, please. Okay. Let's read again from verse uh, 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lioness, like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. And the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations will be his. This passage speaks of the line of kings from Judah, and Judah's lion-like dominance. And we see this play out in Israel's history. Judah became the largest tribe in Israel. And in King David, we have the line of kings. Uh, king David was the greatest king in the Old Testament, and Israel prospered mightily under his reign. But David pointed to a greater king, which this prophecy also foreshadows, that one day a king from Judah's line would come, and all the nations would bow down before him in obedience to him and receive God's blessing. 
And did we see that abundant blessing that this king from Judah would bring in? Let's carry on with verse 11. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now at first, this seems really weird. It seems really surprising. What sort of madman takes his donkey and ties it to the choicest vine branch, as in the donkey would eat all of the grapes? Well, you could do this if you had so many vine uh, grapes, that you had such an abundant vineyard that it wouldn't matter if you tied your donkey to the choicest vine, uh, uh, vine branch. Or who in their right mind would wash their clothes with wine? Now, I'm not suggesting this uh, is something we should do. Uh, Wine stains are very difficult to remove. But the picture is, here is a person who has so much wine, so much abundance, that he can even wash his clothes in it. And so as Israelite history played out, the search was on for this Lion of Judah. David was a good candidate. He was this great king from Judah's line. But like so many, he fell into grievous sin. And then the line of kings soon began to rot away until they ceased completely in exile. Then hundreds of years later, God's promises remained true. A thousand years after David came Jesus. So do you remember what Jesus did when he first uh, displayed his glory? He went to a wedding, and at this wedding, disaster struck. They ran out of wine. This was the greatest faux pas in social faux pas. There was no more wine. And what did Jesus do? He had these six massive stone water jars, and he turned them into wine. This is to show that he was the king from Judah. He was this king who would bring in this abundant life and abundant blessing. And Jesus conquered his enemies like a lion. So Jesus single-handedly took on sin, death, and the devil. And by dying on the cross and rising again, he rose in triumphant glory. And now he reigns as glorious king over all the world. Uh, All enemies will one day be crushed underneath his feet. And throughout history, all people all over the world have been coming to him and receiving life bowing down to him. We just need to look around this church building and we see this promise fulfilled. Genesis 49. The obedience of the nations will be his. We have people here from all over the world. And so we have a choice to make. Will we bow down in worship to this glorious king of Judah? Or will we end up crushed beneath his feet? That's something... That's a choice we'll all have to make. But I just want to go back a step. Why was Judah chosen? Judah, like his brothers, was also a scumbag. It was his idea to sell Joseph into slavery. He had that dodgy situation with Tamar, his daughter-in-law. And yet God chose Judah. Again, it was his extraordinary mercy, extraordinary sovereign grace. You can think of God crossing his arms again and choosing Judah. And yet, under God's grace, Judah became a changed man. And later, he offered himself 
in the place of Benjamin. And a further step back, I just want to think, it's just how staggering to think that this verse is here in Genesis 49. The book of Genesis is a bit like zooming in on Google Earth. So you know Google Earth, you start with the world, and then you zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, and you end up in your house or wherever you might want to go. And so Genesis starts with God creating the world, and then we see the world being messed up by sin. And then what does God do? He zooms in on one man, Abraham, and then Abraham's family. And then he zooms in again to Judah, and then Judah to Judah's king. And so Jesus was always central to God's plan, right from the beginning of the Bible. Thousands and thousands of years ago, we have Jesus here in Genesis. Now, doesn't that speak volumes of God's control over history? To make such a promise thousands of years before and to see that promise fulfilled. And that means we can trust God with absolutely everything. He is in charge over every detail and he's working all things for our good. And so what does all of this mean for us? Well, if you're not a Christian here today, can I implore you to see what's on offer? You can know God as your shepherd, who will be with you in all the ups and downs of your life. A greater security than we can fathom, a greater life than we can fathom. We can rejoice in God's sovereign grace, his sovereign mercy, that he has chosen us not through anything we've done, but through his sovereign mercy. And we can be confident that all of God's promises are true because Jesus, the Lion of Judah, has conquered. Why don't we bow our heads and pray now? Father God, we praise you for your abundant grace in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is our great shepherd and redeemer. Thank you that you have promised to be with us in all the trials of life, and that you have delivered us from the depths of our sin. Help us to know the presence of the Lord Jesus, particularly when times are tough. Would we know him as the good shepherd? Thank you, Father, for saving us by your sovereign grace. Help us to be filled with awe and worship as we seek to serve you in humility. And we praise you so much that Jesus is the Lion of Judah that he has conquered all of his enemies, that he reigns over all. And I pray that the, the nations would bow down and worship to him, and that we would know the blessing of Jesus as our shepherd, redeemer, and as our king. In his glorious, majestic name, amen.